we can never crown you, for you were already crowned from the beginning of time. Let the words of your heart, the words of your mind, be the words of His name, King of Kings and Christ the King. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Um, I want to thank you all for allowing me to speak today, Father Brian, Deacon David. Um, more importantly, for having an opportunity to deliver a message from the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings that I believe was meant for each and every one of you. Um, Brian, we've now got a calendar, so I knew I was going to be speaking on this feast day a long time ago, and I've been really excited about it. Um, there's a number of reasons why. Today is the last Sunday of our liturgical year. For those of you who don't understand that, as Anglicans, we have a liturgical calendar and we cycle on a yearly basis. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent and we start our calendar then. So if you wanna have a New Year's Eve party, next Saturday before Sunday, we gather and we celebrate, okay? But today is the last Sunday of our liturgical year. And it prepares us for the Christmas season. Now notice I said a season because Christmas for Anglicans is not just from midnight to midnight on Christmas the 25th. Christmas runs for many days for us. In fact, some of you would even believe that we should have that spirit of Christmas throughout the whole year, but that's another message. The reason I mention it, though, is because one of the most popular events during Christmas that has occurred is the Hallelujah Chorus. Handel's wrote the Messiah in 1741, and it was written to be performed during Passion Week, prior to Easter. That was what it was for, and that's the way it was until the Americans got hold of it. It was us in 1818 who performed it in Boston for the first time, and then since then, it has been an American tradition that has now been carried out worldwide that the Messiah is sung during Christmas. And if you don't believe me, just Messiah, Hampton Roads, you will see that there are churches everywhere that they are now doing the reverse. The orchestra sits on the stage and every, all the people are the singers in the audience. So if you like to sing, find a place to do that. But if you do, keep in mind that in the Hallelujah Chorus, you'll hear King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In fact, I counted it. There's 10 of them. Wow, it must be something pretty important. And today is the Feast of Christ the King. And yet, I've always had a problem with Christ the King. Why isn't it Jesus the King? Why is it Christ? Why isn't it Jesus Christ the King? And I can remember when I was studying for my ordination that I kept noticing that sometimes it was Jesus, sometimes it was Christ, sometimes it was, sometimes it was King. And I was like, why do we keep mixing up these titles? It's confusing. And so I went to my mentor and I was like, what's the deal? I mean, I, I, I get, you know, he's the Christ, but that's a title. That's not his name. And, and I, I don't understand. I said, I'm beginning to think that it's like your mom. She's your mom, but at the same time, she's Mrs. So-and-so. 
and to the teachers. She's got different names and titles. And that's when I finally realized that we used all these distinctions for Jesus because we were looking at the various aspects of him that apply to us. That when we refer to him as Jesus, we're talking the baby that became a man who willingly sacrificed his life for us. That when we say the Christ, we're referring to the salvation aspect of him. That through his sacrifice on the cross, we are now in the process of being saved. And that he's king because he should be over all and rule over all. And Lord really stumped me. Because Lord isn't... I mean, a king makes a Lord. So it seemed like we were debasing... Jesus, when we called him Lord. I mean, the more I researched what that meant, I, first of all, I went to the feudal system, and then I realized, well, that's not going to do me any good because that was a thousand years after Jesus was around. So then I went back to Jesus's time and found out that there really wasn't a king. There was a Caesar, so that got a little bit confusing too. And then I stumbled upon a note at the beginning of the Bible that the word Lord is used in the Old Testament to refer to the unspoken name of God. See, our Jewish brethren so respected that thou shalt not use the Lord's name in vain that they never used the Lord's name in their writings. So, when they did their writings, they would substitute Lord in place of that unspoken name of God. And that became a little bit more clear because Lord didn't mean Lord as in a little lordling, but Lord as in God. So, King of Kings and God of God's. That's what it is. But do you remember that when Jesus gathered his people, there wasn't to be a king. They were a holy nation. They didn't need a king because they had a God. They had the God of gods watching over them, who provided for them for 40 years in the desert. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that you have nothing? If you were to leave right now and we had to go sojourning, you had the clothes on your back. That's what you had. You didn't have money in your wallet. Remember, all the golden jewels got melted down to make that calf. No along the way. It wasn't a Wawa that you could go up and order a sandwich. In the middle of nothing. And you had to trust and rely on the God of gods. But no, the Jews thought they knew better. Or excuse me, the Israelites thought they knew better. They wanted to be like everybody else in the world. They wanted to be like all the Joneses. Does that sound familiar this time of year? So they decided that they wanted a king. And so they went to Samuel and said, hey, Samuel, you know, you appointed your sons. They're just, you know, 
not as good as you are. So uh, we need somebody a little bit better. We need a king. And Samuel said, no, you don't. We have a God. And they said, no, we really, really, you know, the Joneses have got a king. The Smiths have got a king. Why, why can't we have a king? So Samuel went to God and said, God, are you hearing what's going on down here? I can't believe this. And he was very offended and very upset. And God said, what do you got to be upset about? It's not you they're rejecting. It's They've rejected me as their king. So you go ahead and do what they want to do. You know, they evidently know better than I do. But Lord, you really don't want me to? Yes. You go ahead what they do. And then Samuel says in chapter 8, Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. And he said, now listen to this. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and other to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out from, for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. And what did the people say? Give us a king. So Samuel did. Did you hear my emphasis? He will take. He will take. He will take. He will take. And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking about now. He will take a tenth taxes. He will take your sons and daughters to make them chariots. Well, that was mandatory service until we went volunteer. In many, many countries, it's still required. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards. People who are in business, how much they're giving away so that others can have. He will take but the Israelites decided they wanted a king, so they gave them a king. How do we come to understand Christ is the king? Because, see, Christ doesn't take, does he? Christ asks. What would it be like if you were to come into church next Sunday, and Jane, she's not here, so... I apologize for putting her up on the block, but she stood at the door and said, uh, before you come in, I need 10%. Is that what your church does? Your church doesn't require 10%. God asks it of you. But you have a choice. God asks of your heart. God asks of your time. But the king of this world 
demands and takes. So my question for you is, who is your king? Is it the God of gods? Or is it the ruler of this world? In John 14, 30, Jesus says, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. So we all have a decision to make. Who is going to be our king? The ruler of this world? Or the ruler of heaven and soon to be earth? And then I started realizing that what the ruler of this world was taking, would we not all agree it's not his to take? Most of us would say it's ours. But then remember what's going to be said a little bit later in service. And if you don't know, it comes from 1 Chronicles 29.14. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you. And of your own have we given you. We don't give to God anything that's his. It was already his. He gifted it to us. And are we going to be such poor stewards of the gifts that God gave us that we allow the ruler of the world to take them from us? Or are we going to be good stewards in the aspect that we will give back to God what he gave us? Who is your king? And as I sat down, and I've really worked on this for weeks, I started thinking about the seven deadly sins. And I looked at them and I realized, you know what? We go through all of those almost every day during this season. Lust, where we party to excess that leads to physical pleasure. Impure thoughts, remember, if you think about it in your head, it's just as doing it in gluttony. Let's just build ourselves to overabundance on Thanksgiving. Eight to the point where, guys, you gotta kinda undo that belt a little notch or two. Everybody finishes the meal and has to sleep because they ate so much. What about greed? I need more. I gotta have more. Look what the Joneses did. I looked it up. Do you know that more people call out during the Christmas season than any other season of the year? Might be because of the gluttony and the greed. Wrath. I was out on Black Friday picking up food and I saw more anger from people in the stores than I saw joy. Envy. Man, I wish my wife would have that for Christmas. Or I wish my husband would have thought of me. He thinks of her. Pride. <laughs> Look what I got my family this year. Look at the car. Did you guys see that car we got? Yeah, that was this year. During this season, 
those seven deadly sins, we almost invite. We embrace them because it's the season of Christmas, right? But who's your king? Is it Christ or of the world? Because if it's Christ, maybe we should have the seven virtues, faith. And that a baby is going to be born, was born, and we celebrate his birth. And that baby knew that by coming here, he would end up on that cross. How about faith and that God's love supersedes all other forms of love we have? How about hope that we can make this world a better place because Christ is king in our lives? By giving hope to somebody, by maybe doing that pay it forward, maybe buying something out of somebody's grocery cart in front of you and back of you to let them know that there are still good people in the world. Maybe it's charity. If you listen to my radio show the week before Thanksgiving, I was on a tirade. I had over 200 phone calls that week for people who volunteer that week. What happens the other 51 weeks of the year? Where's your charity? Maybe it's going to be picking up one of the ornaments off the tree, but you know what? Don't let it stop at Christmas. Write them a note every month telling them that you love them and you're still thinking about them. Why? Because anybody can just buy a present. But with Christ as our king, we want the children their king too. What about four? The worst one of them all in my book because you've got to keep striving, you've got to keep going. On my Thanksgiving day, very phone call. It's to the point where it's my Thanksgiving, I don't want to answer the phone, but I still have to answer the phone because I never know. Just as you are on every morning in your prayers, in reading the Bible, in practicing your faith, and in putting Christ in the center of your life. Justice with mercy. Prudence. I really don't need to spend all this money on gifts this year. I can cut my Christmas budget back a little bit instead of buying expensive stuff. Maybe you buy stuff with meaning. My favorite Christmas was my first year in the military because I now had the commissary and the exchange. And let me tell you, for Christmas, that's the best place to go. I was able to buy all seven of my sister's presents. Some of them I only spent five or $10 on, but when they opened them, they were so ecstatic and happy because I pegged each and every one of them because I started shopping way before the holidays because I wanted to give them something that would mean something, not something that cost me a lot of money. And how about temperance? 
not overindulging at the office party in either food or drink or language. How about trying to be the Christian where Christ is your king at that Christmas party? Some of you may have heard me say before that when we put Christ in the center of our lives, everyone benefits. There's currently a meme out there that I want to correct, and I just not got that artistic skill, but maybe you've seen it. It's the umbrella that's got a small umbrella and then a bigger one and then a bigger one and then a bigger one, and it kind of has like your family here and your work and this, and then it has God as that big umbrella. And I so want to say, scratch that out, because God should be over all. He should be in all. He should be the pole of the He should be in the center of your lives, because he's supposed to be your king. Husbands, work is your king, your relationship with your wife, are going to suffer. Justify it all the way to, I got to make money for this, I got to pay for this, I got to pay for this. Do you? Or are you just trying to keep up with your Moms, same thing if you're working. What if you say, my kids are first, everything we do is around our kids. We got to get them here, we got to get them there, we got to get them there. And so your relationship with your spouse suffers. What if your family's number one, and so you're constantly leaving work so that you can go to all the stage plays during the holidays and do this with your kids, etc., so your job suffers? And yet you proclaim to your workers that you're Christian. Here's the thing if Christ is your king and he is in the center of your lives, all of those things around you will benefit. Why? Because husbands, you're supposed to love your wives as Christ loved the church. And how much did he love the church? He gave his life. Because if Christ is at your center, ladies, you will respect your husbands. And I know some of you in here have a problem with that. But the fact of the matter is, Scripture tells us this. It doesn't make you less than the husband because you're giving instead of him taking. You're honoring him with your trust and with your respect. Your kids. Raise your kids right. If you're constantly cutting out of work for their family events, what are you teaching them? And how about work? Because last I heard, everything I'm supposed to do should be done unto the glory of him. I bet every single one of you looking for a job was praying to God that you would find the job that he wanted for you. I hope you were. And then when you got the job, half of you may have remembered to say thank you. But how many of you now that are in that job that God got from you are giving him the glory by doing the work correctly in honor of the fact he gave you that job? Or 
if you just simply yielded your life and allowed the ruler of this world to take control of your life? To take it all. Folks, it's not up. It's God's. Who is your king? Is it Christ the king? Or is it the ruler of this world? Joshua 24. Therefore, fear the unspoken name of God, the King of kings and the God of gods, and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers. Put away the gods that your fathers served, work, family, addiction, pornography, whatever. Put away those gods and serve the king of kings and the God of gods. But if it is evil in your eyes to serve the king of kings and the God of gods, then choose this day, this moment, right now, Whom will you serve? But as for me and my house, we will serve the King of Kings and the God of Gods. We will serve Christ the King in the center of our lives. Let us pray. Father, I know that these words were difficult for some to hear. And I know that the ruler of this world is not willingly going to let go of what we have freely given him. But you are the king of all kings. You are the God of all gods. And nothing that we have is ours to begin with. So help us to reclaim back and be better stewards of what you have given us. And help us to learn how to put you at the center of everything we do so that you will reign as king in our lives. Amen.